My next guest is famous in the baseball world for many reasons, not only as a national baseball writer, but for being somewhat of a prophet on social media. We'll get into that a little bit later. We're talking about USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Bob, thank you so much for joining me for a meeting on the mound. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Jake. Of course, man. And for those of you that don't know who Bob is, he's been covering baseball since 1986. He's worked for the Kansas City Star, Los Angeles Times, The Sporting News, and has been with USA Today since 1998, which is 23 years. So he is a well-established baseball voice. And I'm so happy to have you on the show today because we are getting into the thick of things uh, with the playoff races uh, as the divisions are concerned, the wild card races are concerned. And before we get into it, I just want to ask you kind of what are you following? What teams are you following? What storylines are you following as we uh, get closer to the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in, in close to home would be the National League West with the Dodgers and Giants. You know, can the Giants uh, stumble? You know, will the Dodgers catch them, or will the Dodgers be that one game wild card? You know, with the uh, Padres. You know, Padre Dodger that rivalry starting to uh, boom here. Uh, I think the next best, uh, you know, the other best races are American League wild card. Uh, I still think Oakland and Houston both get in there, which only leaves one team in the. Uh, out, out east. So Yankees, Red Sox, I think Tampa's going to run away with that division, or Toronto Blue Jays. And of course, the uh, NL East, I mean, it's all flawed, but there's uh, the three teams should go neck and neck right down the wire with the Mets, uh, Phillies, Atlanta. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about the American League East, because it seemed as though the Red Sox were going to pretty much coast the rest of the way. And then uh, they got swept by the Rays at the end of July and the Rays took over first place. And since then, they've just kind of floundered a little bit. Are are we seeing sort of what people have been saying about the Red Sox is that they have been kind of overachieving, so to speak, playing above their means? Or um, do you expect them to, to bounce back from this recent bad stretch? Well, I think they were overachieved. They really do. Their starters have kind of hit a wall here. The offense has scuffled. You know, Chris Sale, you know, comes back over the weekend, so he should help out, particularly if he can, you know, even come close to resembling the Chris Sale of old and, uh, you know, and get things breaking out. So uh, I think they were playing way over their head for a while. You get waiting for it to drop off. But we wait for the Giants to drop off, too, and that didn't happen. So, but but I do think the Rays are the class at division, and I'd be really surprised if they don't run away and hide. Right, and people were kind of counting the Yankees out, myself included, at the trade deadline when it looked like it didn't really make sense why they were getting Rizzo, why they were getting Gallo. Uh, it seemed like they were kind of really far back, but now they're in the thick of the race. They're nipping at the heels of Boston for that second wild card spot, as as well as the Blue Jays, who as of right now are only a half game back. So that's kind of an exciting race to to take a look at. What do you make of the Yankees uh, as of late? Yeah, I mean, I think it got a boost getting a Gallo and Rizzo just to, for the morale in the clubhouse. I mean, Gallo hasn't done much. He's been striking out once every two at-bats. I want to say he just has, you know, one home run. Rizzo is on fire, then, of course, caught COVID, uh, so he'll still be up for a while. But, yeah, I think the Yankees were kind of underachieving, and now here they come. Uh, like you said, I don't see – they're not going to catch the Rays, but if they get, you know, get into a wild card hunt, you got Garrett Cole pitch that one game and then go from there, anything can happen. 
but they weren't ready just to wave the white flag and say, you know what, it's not going to happen this year. Uh, they were aggressive, just like, you know, nobody thought Atlanta was going to be aggressive. They looked like they were done, and they went out and got four outfielders and a couple of relievers, and here they are sitting on top of the uh, NL East. Right, and if you're a Yankees fan or a part of that Yankees fan base, I don't think you would have ever accepted them being sellers at the deadline. They definitely needed to to show that fan base that no matter what, they're going to try to win every single year. Well, we know that the uh, Chicago White Sox pretty much have, have wrapped up the uh, AL Central, and then in the NL Central, the Brewers are, are going to run away with that division. You touched on a little bit about the NL West. I want to dive a little deeper there because as a as a Dodgers fan, I've been following that race pretty closely, and it seems like the Dodgers, much like the Yankees you were saying, have underachieved even though they have one of the best records in Major League Baseball. The only problem is, is that the Giants have had an even better record and the best record in Major League Baseball. And I truly believe that the Giants have been overperforming uh, themselves this season. How do you see the rest of the NOS shaking out? Yeah, I thought the Giants would come back to earth and they, they're not. I mean, they're built to, uh, they got so, so much depth. Advanced scouts will tell you very hard to uh, match up against because they can just throw, you know, right, righties and lefties at you all, all night long with that lineup. And the pitching's been superb. Uh, never in my, you know, wildest dreams, I ever think they'd uh, lead the league in home runs, you know, playing in that ballpark. Um, so, no, I think it's going to be a, a close, close race down the stretch. Uh, you know, I kept thinking the Dodgers were going to overtake him, Dodgers were going to overtake him, but just so many little things have happened to Dodgers. You know, if Mookie Betts is out for a while now, that's really going to hurt. They need Bellinger to step up, and Bellinger has, you know, four home runs in four days. Uh, obviously, Scherzer's that ace they need, particularly with Kershaw still on the injury list. So it'll be very intriguing down the stretch. Uh, you know, nobody wants a part of that one-game wild card, you know, even though you'd have a, a Max Scherzer go in that game. You know, anything crazy can happen. Yeah. And about that one game wild card, do you foresee Major League Baseball at some point saying that that, I mean, to go an entire 162 game season to it boil down to one game at the end is a little tough, wouldn't you say? I mean, I, I feel like, um, in my opinion, they should make it a series, whether that's a, a two out of three series or even a three out of five series. Do you foresee Major League Baseball changing that at some point? I do. They're going to talk about that the next collective uh, collective bargaining agreement, and uh, they want to go to fourteen teams, and uh, where the team with the best record in each league, you get a first round bye, and then they want to turn it like a game show. Whoever's got the next best uh, record, you get to choose who you want to play, uh, and go from there. And those games will be a best of three, only at the uh, just like a year ago, only at the site of the best record, and then go from there. But they won 14 teams in the playoffs instead of just the 10. See, my my problem with that is is that you're not going to see as exciting of a trade deadline as you did this past season where there was one trade deadline. The way that the playoffs are configured right now, you you know have a bunch of teams that are willing to sell, and that's why you saw so many players move. But as they expand playoffs to what you're describing, it seems as though we won't see as many players move because more teams will be involved in the in the race down the stretch. Yeah, there certainly won't be as many uh, sellers for sure. Uh, you know, if we had 16 teams like a year ago, teams would just be sitting back right now. Uh, you know, all the teams those uh, ALEs to be making the playoffs, and would it matter? You know, who won the division uh, in the NL West because all three would get in. 
uh, without a problem. So yeah, that made it more compelling. It also made it more compelling there was no August 31st deadline clearing waivers. I know guys still have to clear waivers, but pretty much everybody was. I mean, that's how Justin Berliner went to Houston Astros and helped him win the World Series in 2017. He cleared waivers. Right. And that's kind of what I've been talking about with the the trade deadline is because if you need that key arm or that key bat and you're a team that's looking to buy, this that was your one shot to do it. You know, you can't wait till maybe their price drops or their value drops to get them at a better deal. This is the time to do it. And I think that's why you saw so many high profile players move. Um, moving on, though, I, I, I want to get into some uh, some other storylines. Um we had a sort of a controversy uh, with the foreign substance crackdown at the end of June. They they kind of made the decision in the middle of the season to crack down on this, to inspect pitch, to inspect pitchers um, every half inning or so, and it created a, an uproar at the start because players were uh, a bit thrown off on how you know basically having to change their their sticky routine uh, in order to compensate for what Major League Baseball was doing, but. I have to say, you know, since that uproar, we've really not seen any sort of controversy from that. Do you feel like uh, this foreign substance crackdown is working? Oh, absolutely. You know, after that first, you know, really one day, as you think about it, with the uh, Scherzer doing his thing and, uh, uh, you know, up in the uh, open when the uh, Sergio Romo, you know, pulled down his pants. And after that, it's been uh, nobody even knows this anymore. But it certainly had an effect. We've seen offenses go up. Uh there's been uh, fewer strikeouts. Uh, no one's getting hit by pitches anymore than they were before. So I think baseball still wants to get a, uh, a regular baseball. They're going to introduce it in September, not for use in games, but to experiment with just to see if this will be the answer. So players don't have to use, you know, rosin bag or pine tar or anything else. Uh, the baseball, just like they use in Japan, will have a stick enough surface to, you know, do away with all this stuff. Yeah, they definitely do need to stick to one ball because whether it's it's the pitcher trying to uh, adjust to a new baseball or even the hitter for that matter um, of them taking out the the sort of quote unquote juiced ball this year, they've kind of deadened it. I mean, um, it they, they really do need to stick to one ball because having players try to adjust their approach either mid-season, mid-career, whatever the case may be, it just it, it's just a little inconsistent there. Uh, we talked about expanded playoffs. Um, when do you think we'll see the universal DH? We know it's coming. Is it coming next year? Yeah, it'll come next year. I think people, you know, they want more offense. So let, let's have both leagues be the same. It's kind of, you know, silly to have one league and, and not the other. Uh, you know, I remember Jim Leland years ago with the Tigers. So I'm going to kill somebody. if We end up playing in National League City and we don't have Miguel Cabrera, you know, uh, as our DH. So uh, it'll be the next collective bargaining agreement as well. Both sides want it. Uh, you know, no, I think people are just tired of seeing the, the, the pitchers hit and seeing so little production. So let's get a little bit more wide open offense. So yeah, we'll see it 2022 from now on. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it. After experiencing it in the shortened season with the National League, I've been a National League fan my entire life. So I'm... I'm sort of biased when it comes to the pitcher hitting. I think it adds a dynamic to the game that you miss with the DH in the American League, and you will not get moments like uh, like Shohei Otani getting you know 
getting to potentially hit in National League parks, he, he will forever be the the DH. And when he pitches, he doesn't get to hit. Um, we, we saw it in a game the other day, David Price, uh, you know, hit an RBI double out of nowhere. I mean, you get you lose these moments when you do have the DH. However, it does make managing the game a lot easier. And for managers that do need the DH and aren't really good tactically with pitching changes and double switches, it does help managers um, not have to essentially deplete their bench if, let's say, a starter doesn't have it that day. They got to take him out. They got to continue to use pinch hitters. The game goes into extra innings. You don't have any guys left to come off the bench. So I, I, I get it. I get both sides, and uh, and I've, I've prepared mentally for it and emotionally for it. So uh, I guess we're ready for the DH in the National League and American League. Couple of other storylines that I'm following. Uh, one that I was following from the beginning of the season was when will Miguel Cabrera get to 500 home runs and when will he get to 3,000 hits? Well, the other day he hit 499. So he's one home run away from hitting 500 and actually just 50 hits away from 3,000. Do you think he gets both of those milestones this year? I assume the 3,000 probably a little tougher. Yeah, I think he does. You know, he's been playing a lot better of uh, late. Uh, seems a lot more relaxed. And uh, the last uh, month, month and a half, you know, he's uh, you know looking a little bit more like the old Miguel Cabrera. You know, just like, you know, Pujols, you know, looks more like Albert Pujols with, with the Dodgers. So, no, I think he gets both. And I saw some stat where he had become, he'd only join, I want to say, uh, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays as the only guys with over uh, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits. Uh, at least a 300 batting average and so many doubles and triples combined. Uh, so we a rare company. And, I'm, you know, I, I sat down with Albert Pujols this spring. I said, who's the greatest hitter you've ever played with or saw? He says, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. And he is, he is a special hitter, special, special hitter. He's 38 years old right now. I'm rooting for him. Uh, he's going to be, a, he's going to be a first ballot hall of famer regardless, but um, just to be cool for him to get both of those milestones. And then the other one, the other note that I had, uh, which I, I, I find fascinating because we're seeing a lot of older players kind of have this resurgence or just kind of aging like a fine wine. And one of those pitchers is Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals. He threw his first Maddox the other day, which I actually, being a baseball fan as long as I've been one my entire life, I've never heard of that term before. Um, and for those of you that don't know, a Maddox is when a pitcher throws a complete game shutout on fewer than 100 pitches. And to give you a little bit of context, Greg Maddox did this 13 times in his career. Nobody else has thrown more than seven Maddoxes. What do you think of uh, Adam Wainwright and his his kind of resurgence uh, with the Cardinals? And 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 I mean, the fact that he and and Yadier Molina are still together is is remarkable to me. Yeah, it's cool to see. I mean, one of the longest catching tandems of all time. Uh, you know, going back to you know, like the Hawaii Four Yogi Berra days. So yeah, it's a uh, both guys signed late. Both guys weren't sure whether they want to continue playing or not. Uh, I think for Wainwright, it was St. Louis or a bust. Where Yachty was a little bit more wide open, uh, you know, Wainwright will be in the Hall of Fame, but Yachty Molina will for sure. He should be a first bout Hall of Famer. But it's Definitely. cool to see a guy like Wainwright. I mean, great guy on and off the field. Uh, hopefully, he'll, he'll keep doing this. You know, and show that uh, some of these young pitchers, you don't have to throw 100 miles an hour. You know, as long as you're being smart about it, locate your pitches. Like Max used to always say, there's no better pitch than a locating fastball. And he was a master of that, just hitting, you know, 88 to 90 miles an hour without going full bore. 
And, you know, after five innings, you're out of the game. Yeah, and it's funny that he notched his first quote-unquote Maddox because he kind of has that similar style to Greg Maddox, that kind of pinpoint accuracy. Um, I think Wainwright has a better curveball than Maddox did. I mean, his his curveball is unbelievable, um, sort of like Clayton Kershaw's curveball from the left side. So, yeah, it's just it's really cool to see these players that um, are are having sort of that second wind in their careers. All right, Bob, it's time to talk about social media. And I've always wanted to ask you this because, um, you know, I've been following you for a long time now. And for some reason, people seem to think that you are some kind of prophet or or a jinx, however you land on the argument. What I mean by that is, is when you tweet something out, people seem to think that the opposite occurs. Um, so before I get into like some of the examples that I have here, what what do you make about this kind of phenomenon do, do you do you even care about it well it's silly i mean it's silly too in the broadcaster says no hitter going on and like oh you're not supposed to say the word no hitter you know you're not at the ballpark you know you can say what you want it's not like you're yelling it uh you know to the player but yeah just you know whether a team's going great guns i remember early on this season i i tweeted something about here comes houston astros as good as ever and then they went, you know, a huge tailspin. Oh, you know, lost maybe 12 or 14 games. And some Astro fan must have emailed me two or three times saying, can you please take that tweet down? It's a jinx. <laughs> but people like, you know, baseball's so superstitious. People believe that. And some people just have fun with it. You can say what you want. You know, like, hey, Shohei Otana should win the uh, MVP. Then people say, oh, he's got zero chance. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you obviously take it in stride. I mean, do you read your replies at all? You know, to be honest, Jake, I don't. Uh, you know, sometimes it brought to my attention. I don't. I don't think there's any uh, good that's going to come from it. You know, you know what you tweeted and that, you know, that sort of thing. You know, sometimes you'll have something wrong or uh, wrong spelling or something like that. You know, then it'll kind of catch my attention, that sort of thing. But otherwise, no. You know, it's almost like you write a story in the newspaper. I don't really want to read it. I'm not going to feel any better about the story. I'm just going to feel worse. Like, hey, I, I could have phrased that differently or I wish I wrote that differently. So just out of right. peace of mind, I don't. All right. And you are tweeting things that are occurring. It's not as if you are tweeting and saying, I, you know, I, I have a feeling that the Houston Astros, although they are going really well right now, are going to go into a tailspin. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they um, work, you know, it's like a... Uh, I think the one I had the best a couple of years ago was uh, when Bryce Harper was a free agent. I said, he's going to go to Philadelphia bank on it. Uh, you know, it wasn't until like four months later, but I was just getting barraged by people from Philadelphia. When's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? <laughs> that, that sort of thing. So, you know, right. like any predictions, it's tough to predict the baseball season. Tough to predict right, anything. right. And with your and with your track record, he should have gone to the Rays uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you tweeted that. But I do, I do have a few examples that I wanted to bring up. One of them, uh, because I'm a Dodgers fan, uh, Cody Bellinger. So on August sixth, you tweeted about Bellinger's kind of. He was going through a real bad slump. He was hitting. You said he's just hitting 168, five home runs, 21 RBIs this season. Terrible on base, terrible slugging percentage. He dropped eighth in the order. You mentioned. Um, and then he was taken out of the lineup the following game. Well, since you tweeted that on August 6th, Cody Bellinger uh, going into Friday's game was hitting 333, four home runs, over a thousand slugging percentage, over a thousand OPS, and you and he drove in seven runs. So 
Yeah. Um, what? Meanwhile, while you tweet, when you tweet positive things about players or teams, it goes the opposite. But when you tweet, you know, negative things about a player or a team, it seems to have the opposite effect. So that's kind of why I I called you a prophet or a jinx. However you <laughs> however you you mix it up. But yeah, what, what what can you say about Cody Bellinger so far? Yeah, in this case, I did a story with him, so we interviewed him on the uh, uh, Zoom call. Uh, like this, and he was saying how you know, the numbers speak for themselves. The second lowest batting average of anybody, and on and on. But he kept saying, "Hey, I'm feeling better. My shoulders starting to uh, get some strength back. Uh, I'm going to be a, a new dad. I'm not worrying about things so much." And sure enough, I think I, uh, you know, it appeared on a on a Saturday or Sunday, and then, it, like you said, just taken off. But it's almost like Cody was Cody was a prophet that said, you know what, don't worry about what's happened. And as we talked about in the uh, in my interview with him, is that what happened the first you know four months is going to be forgotten if he leads this team to first place in the NL West and has a great October. Who cares oh, what yeah. he did the first four months? Exactly, exactly. And and you touched on it earlier, Mookie Betts being injured. The Dodgers are going to need. Cody Bellinger to step up. They obviously got Trey Turner in the lineup and Corey Seager coming back. So they, you know, as banged up as they've been, they still have the firepower to do it and and to win the division. Now, I do have to thank you, though, because you did tweet uh, earlier today, or it was at 7.30 this morning, you tweeted how well the Giants are doing. And you said the Giants are 73 and 41. They've beaten the D-backs 14 out of 16 this year. Um, you know, they have a major league best 640 winning percentage. Um, I, I'm just, I'm over the moon when you tweeted this. Cause, cause now <laughs> if, if the giants collapse, I'm going to save this tweet and savor it. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, it's unbelievable how well they're playing. I mean, 600 winning percentages, you know, a hundred win season, uh, you know, they haven't done this since they were the New York giants, you know, back in 1913, Christy Mathis right. was a starting pitcher. So, yeah, it's mind-boggling. So you got to think it's going to regress at some point. But when you're in the yeah. National League West, you get to beat up on the Diamondbacks and you get to beat up on the Colorado Rockies. Unfortunately, if, right. uh, if you're a Giant fan, you know, you've been uh, Arizona 14 or 16 times, which means you only have one more series with them the rest of the year. So you can only right. play, you know, you probably beat them three more times and that's it. They've taken advantage of that for sure. And I know the Giants, they, they, they execute well. They play good baseball um, and they're managed well. And they're, they're kind of, um, you know, they've got that Farhan Zaidi, you know, money ball type of touch to them. Um, but, you know, I've just been watching them. They, they do get fairly lucky, in my opinion. I mean, there, there have been a few times where they've been within their last out or so and like, in the Brewers game the other day, there was a fly ball to right field and Avasel Garcia. I mean, what happened there? I mean, it's almost like they've got angels in the outfield assisting them. I mean, and and the other night against the Diamondbacks, like, you know, uh, the first baseman boots the ball. Uh, Christian Walker boots the ball twice in the inning and they win the game. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that I mean, it is what's part of what is so special about baseball in the long season is that, you know, things go your way. Things don't go your way. It tends to even out. But for the Giants, it just seems like it's all going their way all the time. And I'm with you. I think at some point we're going to see them come back down to earth. I'm, uh, that's what I'm hoping and praying for. And your tweet definitely was a good place to start with that. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, Bob, I have a couple more topics to get to real quick. Um, so you are a, a national baseball writer and 
obviously all the different teams around the league have their own beat writers that follow them day in and day out, and they have their kind of narrow focus. They know what's going on around the league, but they they know day in and day out what their assignment's going to be, which is cover that team. What are the differences between being a beat writer and a national writer, apart from the obvious ones, of, of how you're able to kind of stay engaged with every team across across both leagues? Well, yeah, beat writer is very tough. I mean, you got to be on top of every little nuance. The guys can sprain ankle. Uh, you know, you're writing for that team's fans, fan base only. Whereas a national writer, you can look at the big picture, uh, what's happening. So uh, Chris Davis, who signed that seven-year Hershey C1 million-dollar contract with the Orioles, you know, he announces retirement. That's national news just because people know how big that contract was. Uh, Jake Arrieta. Uh, released by the Cubs, Cy Young winner, you know, big name in Chicago. So that sort of thing. But, you know, like if you're a uh, a Dodger beat writer, you know, you're staying focused on top of the Mookie Bet situation. Hey, when's this guy going to come back? Uh, what happens here? How about Joe Kelly? You know, that sort of thing. We're from a national perspective. As long as Mookie Betts is coming back, you don't really worry about it. Now, if he's out for the season or something like that, it's a different story. Right. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I always find it fascinating how um, national writers like Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan and all these guys that, that kind of are always hooked into kind of wherever the, the big story is. And, um, and you certainly are, are a part of that. Now you, um, your son, uh, Bobby Jr. is a beat writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer. He's a beat writer for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, kind of following in your footsteps there, uh, what what is it like to, to kind of have your son in the same field as you? It was fun. You know, I think originally he was thinking about broadcasting and then uh, went to Bradley University and uh, you know, Charlie Steiner School of Journalism there and, uh, and actually started enjoying the writing part. Uh, it's fun just to seeing him progress, particularly doing Major League Baseball. Because I think as far as people can tell, we're the first father-son writing tandem, uh, you know, in baseball. And it's fun. So usually uh, at the All-Star game in Denver, you know, last month, Major League Baseball made sure to have our seats next to each other. So, that, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. You know, it's fun to read the stories and for him to ask questions about things I went through at that time. I'm, I mean, I'm still learning now. But, you know, natural questions, hey, what's a better lead? What's a better angle? You know, that sort of thing. So he's a whole lot more further advanced than I was at that age. So I, th- I think he'll do well. <laughs> nice, nice. That's really cool. I mean, part of the big theme of this podcast that I talk about with everyone is is passing the love of the game down from generation to generation. And um, it definitely, definitely is is what's going on there with your son, which is really cool. My final question for you is, uh, I, I want to know just, and you can name a couple stories if you can't figure out one off the top of your head, but just a favorite story of yours that you've covered, um, that, that you could share with us that, and, and, and kind of explain to us why that story meant so much to you. Uh, you know, one that comes top of my head is we're going back a little while now is a, uh, is Bo Jackson. So Bo Jackson gets drafted by the Royals. We're thinking it's like a joke. It's like, you know, what what is this? You know, he played baseball in college. You know, he's not going to leave the NFL. Well, sure enough, he did uh, join the Royals, New York rise to uh, the Royals. And we sat down in Boston one day for lunch for about two hours. 
And uh, he kind of told me his life story. And then the, uh, you know, as it went on, uh, remember now too, he had a horrible, horrible uh, uh, speech impediment and had a uh, stuttered all the time. And he said, when all those people talk about, hey, Bo's talking the third person, he says, no, I cannot say the word I without stuttering. So I have to say Bo. So everything was, you know, Bo does this and they made the commercial out of it. So it was fun just watching his rise through baseball. You know, then I went to a few of his football games, that sort of thing. Uh, still friends to this day, but easily the most athletic player I've, I've ever witnessed. I mean, he would do stuff in the clubhouse like, you know, hey, I bet you 10 bucks I can jump over this couch, you know, shoot a bow and arrow, you know, missing guy's head by inches and laughing about it. You know, I mean, he could have been an All-American swimmer, could have been an All-American gymnast, whatever he wanted to be, but he was fun to cover. Do you think he is the best cross-sport athlete between baseball and football? We've seen a, a couple of them, Deion Sanders, Brian Jordan, um, which is quite remarkable when you think about guys playing at the most elite levels in two major sports like that. Well, I do. Because, you know, I mean, he didn't make an all-star team. He wasn't all-pro. Uh, you know, it's too bad he got hurt. And he was about to give up football and just go right back to baseball. You know, I'm not sure he would have been a Hall of Fame player uh, if he didn't play football or got hurt. But um, Kamisi would have been a perennial all-star, you know, like an eight- or ten-time all-star. Uh, he had fun with it. And uh, he would make mistakes in the outfield and run, you know, you know, outrun those mistakes. You know, you hit routine ground balls to second base and beat them out. So just a joy to watch. You know, when people talk about what Otani is doing, you know, it reminds you of what Bo was doing too, where people just pay a ticket to watch this guy play. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Bob, thanks so much for joining us uh, for a meeting on the mound. If And if I could just have uh, ask you for one favor before we go, can you tell me and tell everyone, all my viewers, how much you think this podcast is going to absolutely crash and burn and it will never be successful in yeah. any on any platform ever again? You're doing great, Jacket. No, enjoy it. It's going to be fun. It's fun, fun to watch a... Uh, oh, no. I'm doomed. Do it. No, no. You'll do great. You'll do great. <laughs> on the positive side. All right. Well, if I crash and burn, I'm coming back to you, okay, Bob. That's okay. not what I wanted. It's a deal. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Thanks, Jacket.